Hello and welcome to Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell story, and I'm your guest host, Michael Coleman. Glenn is on a well-deserved vacation, so I'll be filling in as your guest host on this episode. Today we'll be talking about the latest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor, Love and Thunder. If you've seen the last installment of the franchise, Thor Ragnarok, then you already know that director Taika Waititi has taken the series into a considerably more comedic direction, and Thor, Love and Thunder continues that trend. This film has some very funny sound moments, including a jealous battle axe, Russell Crowe doing an over-the-top Greek accent, and a pair of screaming goats. Literally. But it's not all laughs, as Thor is reunited with his long-lost girlfriend, Dr. Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, and is confronted by a very chilling new villain named Gore, the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale. Joining me to discuss these moments are re-recording mixers Brandon Proctor and Annalie Blank, supervising sound editors Baiwei Yang and Daniel Lowry, and the film sound designer Samson Nesland. This would also be a good time to mention that there may be a few minor spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't watched the film just yet, you might want to do that first. But if you're ready to rock, Let's find out what the sound team had to say about working on Thor, Love and Thunder. Well, thanks everyone for joining me today. I know all of you have had a few opportunities to work on various characters uh, within the MCU. What was unique and different about this story with uh, Thor? What were you guys most excited about? And what was going to be a little different with this time around with Thor? And maybe Samson, we'll start off with you. Well, you know, working with Taika is actually... It's uh, we. I worked on the last Thor movie with him, and that was just kind of a uh, a different experience than the one I was used to, you know. And he's just he has this sense of humor and this kind of personality that he brings to the film. That's kind of quirky, and um, it's just it's just a, a kind of a fresh new take on it. And it's really fun. I mean, it was just really fun to work with him. And his kind of uh, influence on it, I, I'd say uh, the humor is a big thing. Like the, it's just such a prevalent thing in throughout the whole movie. Um, so yeah, that's a that was a fun fun thing to be a part of. I worked on all of the Thors now. The first one I did in London, I was just I just helped out on some ADR. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the second one I did when I first moved over here about twelve years ago, ten years ago, Thor two. And then my favorite one was Ragnarok. That was just a great film to work on. So there was a lot of expectation after after Ragnarok because Ragnarok was sort of very successful and people loved it and loved Taika's, you know, humor. Um, <clears throat> so I was expecting a lot and I was expecting – what I was expecting is pretty much what I got, which is, which is very much Taika's humor, which we all seem to – well, the whole world seems to love. And uh, so, you know, and the the inane jokes <laughs> that Taika does so well and also which um, the cast deliver very well, you know. So it was a, there was a lot of expe- expectations for humour and I think the humour has really come across, you know. It's, it's a, it's, I would say this is a real popcorn movie, you know. It's a real movie just to go along with your, with your kids, slightly older kids, not, not young kids because there's a lot of, Sort of slightly adult content, <laughs> but uh, so uh, you know, I think it, I think it's worked out very well. I was really excited to work on Thor because it's an already established character. Unlike Shang Chi, was new for Marvel and new for the audience members. So we kind of it could be anything 
that really we wanted it to be sonically. So this was something that you know, a lot of the sound design has already been established as far as how Mjolnir sounds and Bifrost. And so, but it, it was fun to work with Taika and be, have the liberation to change some of the sound design for emotional beats. Um, and every day you just come in and you're like, I'm working on Thor. This is awesome. And, and, and we, the crew all got along, you know, we worked crazy hours and we just, you know, we, all of us worked well together and it made it a really enjoyable experience. So just coming in and working on a big action movie with Curtis Hensworth is really a great way to spend the day. So, uh, this is my third, this is my third Marvel movie. So I worked on Captain Marvel and Shang-Chi and both are very different than this one. <laughs> but that's, I think that's how we like Marvel movies because we never know what style it's going to be. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting. I knew it was going to be different experiences going into a, a Taika film, you know, because he's, I think he just, uh, he's fun. And I was excited to work with him. And I just love what he brings to film and TV and, and all the properties that he's been involved with. I think they're all really kind of, fun and like that quirky comedy that's awesome and of course you're going to have that you know glued together with the marvel action and, and storytelling um so I, I just you know after ragnarok i was kind of excited to see where he would go with this next one you know what was what was the, that that energy and uh it, and it and it delivers in that fashion it's it's fun it's it's exciting and you know um and it's you know how do you how do you connect that 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 kind of loose, you know, feeling that Taika has into such a, a Marvel universe, you know, uh, I was kind of excited to see how that would just all play out together. And uh, it was fun. It exactly was that. I came across this comment from Taika saying that he wanted to up the ante to this film that as if 10 year olds told us what should be in a movie. And we said yes to every single thing. You know, what's your guys sense of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've seen, I mean, you've seen, there were spoilers are allowed, you said. So that you've seen the goat boat. I mean, it's like a, yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing you can imagine. There's, there's goats that there's a, there's a weapon that's shooting a magical rainbow beam that's turning into a bridge and then it's breaking up and then it's just flying around in space. Um, at some point, there was like a fire trail behind it, but I think they decided that was too many elements in one in one item. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> well, we talked even on the sound, we were like, well, how do we make that sound fun and magical and ridiculous, but still be grounded somehow, you know, and actually feel like it's a boat, but also feel like it's this, you know, I kept telling Samson, like, I just keep thinking of my little pony for some reason, you know, and I don't know if that's you know, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, he like, he's like, so just like rainbows and just, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're just, and you're waiting for the VFX and to see how they're all coming together. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's that goat boat is ridiculous. And, and of course the goat screaming, you know, and how they're just screaming throughout the whole film. And we kept talking, like, is it going to be too much screaming? Is it going to sound too, you know, is it, do we outplay that joke? You know, like you, you just never could get enough screams. You just need more, you know, by way, we'd laugh every time a scream happened, you know, a goat would scream. <laughs> By way, we'd be laughing like, nope, still working. Yeah. 
<laughs> guys on stage. Um, something I want to understand is how early on does Taika reach out to you? What were some of the early kind of steps for you guys to get familiar with the story and some of, I think, you know, there, there have been so many films that you guys have worked on within the MCU and you have a lot of kind of, you know, the sounds that are expected, but what were some of the, the things that were new and that you guys knew that you'd have to start crafting and putting together? Yeah, one of the early things they sent to us was the, it's that, um, the Indigar battle, which is in real, real one now. And it was like that big battle with the, the owls and where Thor shows up and there's the guns and roses. And that was one of the first things they sent and they wanted some, to try some stuff for the, um, the bikes, the Booskin, they call them the Booskin. Those are those owl people, the Booskin bikes. They wanted them to be super aggressive and kind of, uh, you know, big engine revving kind of things, kind of, I guess, Mad Max style. So that was one of the first things they sent to us. We went out and we actually recorded um, hot rods and we went and that was the source material for a lot of those um, bikes in there. And then, yeah. In the early stages of the film, we have lots of spotting sessions with Tyka and, and Matt Schmidt and uh, Tim Roth, the editors. And, uh, and, and, so, and the producers come along as well. And we discuss all the sound design and we go down there. You know, we have time. Samson comes on very early and I came on pretty early. But uh, um, he does all the rock and roll stuff. <laughs> he gets all the good stuff to do. I get the dialogue. And if anybody comments about the dialogue, I'm always worried. You know, if they don't, if they don't, um, if anybody notices the dialogue, that can be a problem sometimes for me. <laughs> you know, if people just go, oh, yeah, the dialogue was fine. That's a compliment. Whereas Samson, he's, he's doing all these, you know, the big moments of, of sound design and all the way through, which is what people, you know, people just love sound design and, and, how, and how it's made. And, you know, he's got some great stories about how he did this and the hammer and Stormbreaker and I can't say it, Mjolnir. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's what happened in the early stages. So we'd have, you know, we'd fly down there, we'd have meetings with them. Um, and then, and that continues all the way through. We're sort of feeding the, the, the picture department with sound design. Um, I was cleaning up a lot of the dialogue. The dialogue has, was pretty problematic for, for us because they shoot it all on a volume, you know, the volume. <laughs> well, for anybody who doesn't know the volume, <laughs> the volume is this, this huge, great, curved screen which they which saves them millions of dollars in visual effects i believe and um but it is a very problematic problematic in that for us with for dialogue because it can put a reverb on the dialogue um and it's all very very noisy and you have the wind machines blowing and they're, they're you know rebounding all the effects so that was that was an issue that we had to deal with which i think we dealt with very well we did so much rx work um, isotope work on on all the suits and because the suits creak like crazy all the way through of course <laughs> so you have to get all that and I would say as is always on these shows the less ADR the better so I would clean up all the, uh, the dialogue scenes which I was asked to and send them to the picture department they would put them in their tracks and Samson would send the sound design and the music was coming in you know, so that's how we sort of pretty much go about a lot of these films. Something that I noticed, you know, in the backgrounds for some of these, you know, very big battle scenes is there's a lot of activity in the background and you have to kind of pick and choose which, you know, 
which visuals you're going to draw attention to with sound. And, you know, I'm thinking of this one scene with Thor when he's on the rock and there's a whole battle going on around him. And it's kind of the chaos of it all. Tell of the time that Thor, the ragtag motley crew, misfit desperados, turn the time the battle etch their names in history. The odds may be against us, but I'll tell you this for free. Here it comes. This ends here and now! Oh! I'd love for you guys to describe how you pick and choose which sounds to draw attention to and if there's any direction that Taika gives you. It all depends on if the battle scene has a song in it or if it is score. Uh, if it's a song and if it's, for instance, a Guns N' Roses song, they want to make sure that they hear those key lyrics of the song. And that is most important. And everything else should shape around that. Um, and same goes with the score. Hit the melodies. Where's the melody? Oh, let, let me hit that. Can you, can we raise your effects like four frames later so we can get the end of the melody phrase and then hit that? Or can we add just a little bit more low end on the effects because the high end is in the same frequency as the song or the score. So um, obviously the first go around, Brandon has 4 million tracks of material that he's uh, trying to weed through and it's a dance, you know, and, and Brandon and I work great together. We um, aren't shy about, hey, did you hear that? Hey, that song sounds weird there. And, and a back and forth. And I think that, in the end really helps the scene find its shape and we had the time to be able to find the shape too which is was really nice you know i'm not saying our first pass was amazing but it got there <laughs> i mean it, it's a combo uh we definitely had direction to make sure you can you know you want to hear all the dialogue and, and clarity but then there are specific sounds that are kind of helping to tell the joke you know, when he rock, you know, walks up on the rock there, the, the laser, he's just kind of carefree and like, you know, these lasers aren't going to, you know, nothing's going to hit me, you know, and, you know, it even goes through his robe or his, his cape or whatever, you know, like it's, and, and it's just a, a thing where he's just not, you know, he's carefree. So you have to kind of hear a few of those and you're trying to find, you know, what sounds to poke through between lines and not make it too cluttered. I mean, there's so many sounds you could have at once that, that it would just be a, an entire crazy battle, you know, that's actually going on behind them. So there's a little bit of back and forth, you know, how, how loud can we go? Is it taken away from the dialogue? Can you hear all the lines clearly? Are we losing story? It's, is it, you know, how do we enhance the story without you know, but still stay out of the way. Um, but um, yeah, we definitely talked. And then we just kind of kept pushing a little bit. We'd pull back too far, then push far further and see how, how much we can kind of crowd the dialogue. And of course, then you've got the music track you're trying to get through there as well. Yeah, I don't think Welcome to the Jungle, like it doesn't need any more sound, right? Like that's just, that's just full blast. And so uh, Brandon and Anna did a great job crafting that through that whole scene because there's so much audio information there's the you know there's explosions there's the um electricity there's thunder there's all these magical weapons there's the speeders you know the owls are screaming thor is screaming <laughs> the only thing that wasn't screaming was the goats i think at that point but yeah yeah they're the only they did, ones they did a great job uh, <laughs> making those work together how, how did you find taika to, uh, to collaborate with did he have i mean obviously like probably in the script yes you see a cue that there's going to be this you know guns and roses song but like how would you describe kind of from pre-production through production post 
how does he like to interact and, and you know, collaborate with you guys and being a little open and playful? Because I feel like his style is very improv, especially we see that with Korg, you know. But uh, yeah, how did you find him just collaborating with the sound team? He was, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of as you described. He's very casual. He kind of walks in and you can, sometimes he's saying things and you're, you're like, is he joking? Is he serious? But it's, it's kind of his vibe and you kind of have to pick it up a little bit with what. But actually, I think he's a lot of fun overall. I mean, he I think he has great taste. Um, he likes interesting, cool sounds and and he is very story driven. He's always thinking about, you know, what's happening in the story, what needs to what what do we need to do to tell the story? So, um, yeah. Sometimes he's just like, what can we do here to like, this just needs to be cooler here or we need to do, you know, is there another sound that's just kind of, you know, that's not as fun. That's kind of in the way, you know, and, 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 he, and he'll kind of leave it up to us to kind of figure out what that means. And then he's, he's like, Oh, that, I like that. Or you could just start soloing something like, Oh, that's the sound I love, you know? And um, cause there are, we, we have everything available ready to go. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, trying to figure out what sound he's thinking of that he wants to hear more of or less of. Um, but, you know, it has, does have to be fun. It does have to be cool, but it also has to kind of fit that that narrative that he's trying to, you know, convey. Do you guys find that with Thor's Hammer, the Mjolnir, and then with Stormbreaker, is there sounds that have already been from the previous films that you stick with and then you accent? Or how, how do you kind of manage the new versus the old and taking these sounds that people know what Thor's Hammer sounds like when it's flying, when it's hitting? How do you guys navigate that? What was kind of your guide for all that? That's a great question. I mean, like these, with these Marvel movies, um, a big part of the sound design is just building on what has been done before. And there are these, all these iconic sounds made by these amazing designers over the years. And so part of the job is to just, is to maintain those and have them be used in a familiar way. Um, but then again, you know, in every movie, there's all these new, there's always new bad guys, new weapons, new creatures. Um, and actually, you know, even new, new moves that the, the old weapons have that we have to kind of build, like, for instance, um, you know, Mjolnir has this new move where it, um, you know, it splits apart into all these little pieces whizzing around and, um, um, you know, and so that was kind of, we, we had to build that in a way where it was, it was new thing, but it had to be familiar, you know? And so a lot of that was manipulating the sounds that we had of Mjolnir to kind of, you know, for when it breaks apart, there's kind of this delay pattern thing of a, of a traditional hammer hit. And then there's also some new elements, some metal kind of clinking elements to mark the, the pieces. And then, you know, we, we pitched a lot of things like for all those pieces, we had to we pitch a lot of the, the legacy sounds up and then made groups of them to kind of make them seem like there was a lot of them. And then we mixed those with other, you know, smaller, fast moving sounds like bullet, bullet ricochets and arrow and, that kind of thing, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's always it's always about you know what has been done before. What what do people need to? Because there's some great sounds like Mjolnir is such a great sound, and it's and so we have to maintain that, but then also kind of add to it. The audience wants these movies full and big, and and also sound real, even though there is a ton of CGI. Um, that's try out different reverbs on the voices to make it have the perfect slap in these arenas and, and, Oh, that's too much. Or should we try this? And it's a lot of 
figuring it out with the group and the picture editors were really, really awesome and helpful with trying, allowing us to try stuff and, and be bold and it's okay to be bold. And then, you know, I'm a big person is let, let's do the craziest thing we can in the scene. And then they'll go, yeah, it's too crazy. Okay. Well, we know where we, where, where we, where we shouldn't go. And then, so then we can tone back from there. And so you can kind of learn what the creatives are wanting as, as you move forward in the mix. So we'll comp- continue with the Munir part. That's actually my favorite sound in the movie that Samson, I think you and uh, David did a, David Hughes did a good job on that because uh, before this movie, um, Mjolnir never showed up in the same space with Stormbreaker. So that's also a challenge because we, we, as audience, we all thought um, Mjolnir, that was it. It's gone. It's never going to come back. So I think, uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but um, Stormbreaker was a lot of like the sound design for Stormbreaker in, in the previous movies were kind of based on Mjolnir. So now we're facing, you know, you have to differenti- differentiate like what what are the difference because they literally compete <laughs> in one space. So, um, but I think I think at the end, like we did pretty good. It's uh, Mjolnir has, I think, uh, something had a lot of weight to uh, Storm- Stormbreaker, especially when Stormbreaker was being jealous and then you know just floating around and that kind of. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so so that that kind of made um, the difference. I was going to ask, uh, you know, Brandon, for you, for scenes like that where we see Mjolnir break apart, and like I feel like there's a lot of activity going on uh, around the audience, and I feel like there's opportunities to find space and find opportunities to get movement, and that especially is a, a moment that I find worked really well, and it feels like very overwhelming at that moment, like they're not going to make it out. But how, how did you find playing to picture and opening things up and find opportunities to get some movement with spatial audio and Dolby Atmos? Absolutely. I mean, and with that, it was so fun because, you know, literally all the pieces would fly into the air and through the ceiling and, and you really could use every speaker. And then we even like would find places to pull music back to actually open up so we could actually hear those pieces fly a little bit more, you know, singular. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's no question. It was super fun, uh, except for conforming all those, those little pieces that was <laughs> Samson was pulling his hair out for it a little bit, but uh, you know, because there are so many little you know elements too. Each one of the, those hammer pieces, you know, not only there's like the the metal resonance, but there's like a you know wind connection to each one. There's kind of like a whoosh connection on top of the wind elements. There's like all these these pieces they have to pan and move around the you know the room, and uh, it's it's complicated. Which, and then and then you know, trying to find out what other elements that you have that are playing through the scene to be able to pull back so you can kind of reveal those those elements, can have, have them, you know, give them some space to actually, so you can hear that they actually move around the room, uh, especially when he's searching for, you know, Mjolnir and actually looking, you know, like, you know, when Thor's looking and, and realizing that he's hearing a familiar sound, but it's different at the same time. But yeah, I mean, this guy's crushed it. Samson, you know, creating that, those pieces that shatter like that, they're, they're 
It's super fun. We don't need him, boy. Taika really wanted Mjolnir to have an emotion on that when he is going to Thor's hand. Like, oh, hey, oh, now I'm going to Mighty Thor. And it was a great idea because it made you feel some emotion for this hammer and for Chris Hensworth, you know, missing his his weapon that's awesome uh, i love christian bale's portrayal of gore the god butcher it's it's a crazy contrast because you really feel that there there is something at stake and obviously like what the film sets up at the beginning in terms of his journey and where it evolves through the film but uh the contrast of this black and white world that they establish i feel like is really striking and it gets very spooky and there's a lot of opportunities to play with dynamics and get quiet and and i, I would love it for you guys to talk us you know, describe how you guys crafted Gore and his kind of realm, his his sonic world. I mean, Christian Bale is, is brilliant in film. I think he's really, really good. He comes across really scary. And lots of people, there's a, there's a scene in Real Six when he's got them all tied up, you know, all bound up. And that comes across very strong. It's a very powerful scene because of Christian Bale, I think, um, because he's so menacing. Um, we tried, I mean, Honest tried doing some really interesting stuff and sort of making his voice go much deeper on certain words. Um, but uh, ultimately, they didn't want that. They just wanted a, a straight performance. I mean, because his performance is so good, I don't think they wanted to distract anything by, by putting too much into it. So we did actually take all that off and, and just went with his performance. And we did quite a lot of ADR with him. And again, he was just brilliant at ADR. He was just he completely nailed it. He wouldn't. He would just mimic his performance that he did, and so it was. It was. It was. He was just great. A really, really great to work with. Um, yeah, I think actually my favorite. I was thinking back on the film after it, we had kind of finished everything. And I think one of my my favorite scene is is actually that scene where Gore is in that uh, in that that little hut, and and he's restraining all the heroes, and uh, there's all this, you know there's all this visual information that's happening you know, all these slithering things that's moving around, but really what you wanted to hear was this, just his performance and the music. And then we had some kind of light restraining sounds that kind of helped with the tension. But a lot of those other sounds are kind of unmarked at that time. And um, just to kind of focus, it, he really just draws you in into that. And, and it's like you said, it's really spooky. We found it was just good to get minimalist with it and just kind of like pull back and let him perform in a way, you know, kind of get out of the way and, and, uh, you know, almost too many sound. I mean, you could, there's a million ways to do that scene, but almost too much sound would actually start distracting from his performance. Um, and, uh, that, that was true probably in a couple places in the film where we're like, let's let them do their thing. And, uh, uh, so, yeah, it's a super fun kind of scene because it's super minimalist, but he's so good. You're just like, he pulls you in more because we just kind of got out of the way a little bit. Did you guys do any processing for his voice at all? Or was it all performance, all production? That is all performance. Um, I know that Annalie did some stuff at first. She did some 
she was doing a whole kind of build out as he gets more and more into the you know the butcher like where it kind of his voice would change and um everybody really wanted to kind of keep him like no he should still be kind of the man he was in a way and it made it more you know um i don't know there's there's a lot more you just you were just connected to him even more there's almost more texture because of that into his performance i mean it's, yeah he he's anytime he's on screen it's kind of like get out of the way you know let him do his thing Let's talk a little bit about the character of Zeus played by Russell Crowe. It's a really interesting set piece of all CG. How did you want to treat Zeus? And, you know, what was your take on kind of like the crowds and the surrounds and that whole interaction that they have? The backgrounds, yeah. the back, I mean, that is weird, isn't it? That whole scene, it's all uh, CGI. I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible, really, that they can do that. So, yeah, we had to we had to record the, the Zeus, 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 and we got multiple recordings of that and lined them all up. And then I handed it over to the effects editor and Samson, and they, they would uh, build it all up with, with other stuff that they got, you know. So, and in the end, I think it sounds pretty good, actually. It sounds very, you know, like a big auditorium with people yelling Zeus, Zeus, Zeus. <laughs> the crowds were really challenging. I mean, there was, that was one of the most challenging things in the movie um, for us because, um, well, there was a lot of elements to it. You know, you go into this this place that you'd never been before, this big temple, and they wanted it to seem like there were thousands of these gods, thousands of people. and But they also wanted them to be very interactive with what Zeus was doing or just what was happening in the story. And they all love Zeus. Um so whenever he tells a joke, they kind of there's kind of a ripple of laughter, and whenever Thor talks back to him, there's kind of like a hushed, you know, quality. But it's really hard to do that with a thousand or thousands of people, and because you have to, you know, have to have a, a sense of that hushed, a cl- closer sense while also feeling the big rippling movement of the crowd. And then on top of that, you know, they're not just people; they're also gods in there. So we ha- we had a lot of layers of you know, God crowds or, or, you know, not human, more alien. Some of them were more creature just to kind of give it a more exotic feel. So, um, but yeah, that was a really challenging scene for sure. Yeah. And, and Zeus, you know, there's definitely some, you know, comedic layers of sounds, you know, we're adding more squeaks to the shoes and, and trying to find ways to just make him, you know, add to the silliness of his character in a way, or at least the way he's playing it, which was, I mean, I, I think he's hilarious actually in the role um, and, and his accent and the way he, you know, but uh, his timing is so funny in that. But uh, yeah, there's those elements, but then, the, I mean, the crowds were just all, crowds are always a thing. Any movie, crowds are, 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 are tough. Everybody hears it a different way or they want to hear the layers in a different way. And when they, you know, when does a crowd actually react? How much space do you have for that? Um, and then of course, if you do any, kind of changes to the real all that timing has to be kind of re-looked at and thought of you know but uh and then on top of that just you know it is full cg so it's all just crowds and loop group and there's no there's no production to actually kind of fall back on you know except for their their dialogue production so you really are it's you're building it like an animated movie you know in that sense um and uh which makes it obviously difficult and easy for them to move things around and change things at the same time. And they're just like, well, let's do it this way. You know, it's, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, happy with how it turned out, but that was, that was a hard one. 
What about his lightning bolt? What did you find was the right kind of mixture of sounds to represent that since we already have so many loud God of Thunder types of elements already? That's a great question. Um, yeah, at first we started out, well, I had done some stuff that was a little bit more whimsical, like more kind of zippy and sword based. And there's a lot of ricochet kind of, you know, to make it fun and playful. Um, Cause he is kind of like twirling it around and having fun with it. Um, but after we had a sound design review and they, especially Taika wanted it to seem more impressive. Like even though it's a s smaller type of weapon, um, he wanted to seem like bigger, um, you know, more powerful, like Thor was in awe of this thing. So we kind of took a turn and it, it is also a really, it was just a really challenging weapon because they, it features electricity. It's like its main element is of electricity and all these other weapons, Mjolnir, Stormbreaker, feature electricity too. So we had to find a way to make it work with those. And it ended up kind of being more, um, we found this low kind of electrical hummy thing that was kind of sabery. And so it kind of turned into this saber weapon that was, um, that showed the power, but also, you know, how to, we, we would be able to differentiate it from those other weapons. There's still some of the whimsical sounds in there, especially if it's not like there's kind of like an on or an off type thing, you know, when he's kind of messing with it and playing with it. Or is it for the scene, can we get a little more whimsical because he's being so kind of funny and holding it? But then when it's like an aggressive fighting tool, then we just kind of we crank up that 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 weight to it, you know. How did you find uh, working with Taika on his character Korg? I feel like he's doing a lot of on set kind of playfulness. So that's the ex-girlfriend, is it? The old ex-girlfriend. Jodie Foster. Jane Foster. The one that got away. The one that got away. That means escaped. Yeah. Yeah. Must be hard for you to see your ex-girlfriend and your ex-hammer hanging out and getting on so well. All the lines were re-recorded just for consistency and, and continuity-wise. And a couple of the lines were, you know, he comedically could kind of, you know, turn it a different different way. Um, and then we, we even recorded some last minutes, the very last day of the final. We threw a mic on the stage and he was recording some stuff right to the screen. I mean, but that was also kind of was part of that was because it was fun. We're like, oh, what if we added a hmm here or a this there? And it was like little tiny things that were just kind of fun, you know, moments. But it was such a fun, interactive day where we're like, oh, let's try this out. Let's let's put a little let's record you real quick. OK, let's you know, and it was just. Uh, but that's also Taika, like you can just change things at the last minute and it would just be like, oh, that is, that's the thing we needed all along. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, there, there was definitely recording, but it was, it was mostly for continuity, you know, and we throw them on dock stage cause we're there at Disney and, you know, you're going to get an amazing recording out of that. Yeah. Not, not to spend too much time, Samson, about the goats, but you know, tooth grinder and tooth gnasher, how do you cast? How do you cast talent for yelling, screaming goats that are going to be, you know, the focus of a lot of scenes? No, yeah, we have a goat scream connoisseur here at Skywalker. Um, his name's Richard, and he's just, uh, he, at some point, he could just, uh, there was a recording of him doing this scream that just sounded like those screams that you hear on the, uh, the YouTube videos. And so he is the main goat scream in the movie, and then... We also had other people, you know, we recorded a whole bunch of other people screaming and yelling and so to try to get some variety. And we kind of mostly ended on one of them being more 
uh, female-based screaming, but there's just kind of a variety of screams that, that to try to, you know, so it's not just one continuous scream of the same person the whole time. But yeah, it's a it's a person. It's Richard. Mostly it's just Richard. Giant goats. Look at those. They are wonderful. Yes, they are. He also screamed quite a lot. In the script, like early on, I read this about this whistle and, and, I, and I was, you know, recognizing it was going to be a big sound design challenge because it was everything dropped out and it was just this whistle that called the the goat boat but it was described as not like any whistle that you've ever heard before and so you know so everything just drops out and then you're just supposed to hear this one sound that no one has ever heard before and that kind of is a really scary but exciting uh sound design challenge and so we actually had a um, we tried all kinds of things i mean we tried you know instruments and horns didgeridoos and humpback whales and I mean, we uh, train steam, locomotive whistles and all kinds of stuff to try to get the the right feeling for it. And it didn't. It came down to um, we had this whistle. We had a special whistle playback for Taika down at Disney, and we auditioned twelve of our you know our best whistles. And Taika actually picked one that he liked um, that happened to be a Maori instrument. When uh, I mean, we didn't tell him what anything was beforehand, but it's this. Uh, ancient uh new zealand instrument and he asked for us to make some modifications to it you know he wanted to he wanted it to build in the space and he wanted to add feedback and some distortion kind of like a like an electric guitar and you know brandon um spread it all around the room and did really cool stuff kind of bouncing it off the walls and kind of this all enveloping sound and so we we so that's kind of what it ended up being was this this uh Maori instrument mixed with this kind of electric guitar, which is kind of like mixing taika with kind of the Guns N' Roses theme in the movie. And then, you know, of course, the goats answer and come in uh, and to Guns N' Roses. And then I learned even after that, that I was because I was finding out where the, you know, the source of the sound, like what the actual instrument was this. And it was this, um, it was actually this shell. It was made from a shell. Um a seashell or, you know, this big kind of conch shell or something. And it was, uh, it was actually gifted or it was supposed to be a gift from the, the God of the sea, this instrument, it was used as like a war call. And I just thought that was kind of perfect with the fact that they're calling this boat, this Viking boat. And there's like a war call and there's Taika and Guns N' Roses. I'm like, this, this, this just all makes sense. This all to me, you know, sometimes it never makes sense, but this made way too much sense. So that's what it ended up being. I feel like not everyone has an opportunity to work on a Marvel film. And I think for all of you, you've had opportunity to work on many different characters and different story, you know, just different setups and environments. That I think otherwise people wouldn't have an experience, you know, th that opportunity to play in. What's your guys' takeaway from, especially from this film? What's, what's some of that, you know, kind of unspoken um, experience that you get? One of the most fun things about these films is that just you always get these new sound design challenges where there's always new weapons and creatures and um you know spaceships and it just you're in a new world so it's a it's kind of a playground in a way where you're always having to think about what this you know what this new thing should be and how it and then also how it kind of fits into everything else you know um 
because you have those sounds that you that you're carrying forward and like this movie we have stormbreaker we have mjolnir and then you know thunderbolt is kind of the new addition and then you know there's also the necro sword and so kind of making those all work together um is always a fun challenge i'd say um and yeah, I mean, just really fun sound movies. Like, you know, you get to, it, there's always new stuff. And so, um, yeah, that's what I enjoy about it. I felt like working on this movie, if you know Marvel well, they change so fast and they change all the time. Like so, like in terms of storytelling, they're trying to always trying to um, um, test out the story and then always trying, they're not afraid of changing the story at any point. So I think what I learned or enjoyed for this movie is just to live at the moment. Like you just have to focus on what you work on each day, and then treat that as you know, what, treat that as um, you know the part of the movie that will show up at uh, show up at the end of the movie. And then tomorrow, the next day, they could cut out of that, and you cannot be too attached to it. But the next day, they may cut it back in. So <laughs> all your hard work on day one will will be paid off. So you just have to like treat every moment very seriously. And then make sure, you know, that day of work and that chunk of work um, is the best presentation and then not to feel too attached to it. And then when, when it goes away and uh, yeah. This movie was different too because they shot most of this during COVID. And so the sound mixers were not allowed to place the microphones on their bodies. And with all these costumes and mic placements were who knows where. Uh, it made mixing the dialogue quite challenging. And, and at some point I'd be like, what? how do I get this line through? And, uh, and then you just sort of embrace this sound of the movie. And then when you watch it, you just lean into it and go, okay, it's actually, it works. Add a little reverb, let's add some top end, let's not clean it up too much because it starts sound a little strange with the characters that was a, a learning experience for me for sure because a lot of especially been working on game of, you know working on game of thrones for 10 years the dialogue was so pristine we had no noise it was like a very thing and so this was a very different sort of mentality that i had to embrace so and i like that it's a, it was a learning experience for me that's okay the idea that you have to be so flexible you know, to know that things will change, but, but, uh, also like just the, you know, what you're focusing on in the picture itself. I mean, you know, there's so much sound in these movies, which makes it so fun as well. Like just from the geek side of me is like, like I get to play with all these amazing sounds and, you know, you get the best people cutting them, which is amazing. So you're just so supportive. And, and then like to actually like, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's very fun uh, and it, it's exciting. And then not get attached to those things and know that you're kind of, you know, in that Zen kind of way that like, let me just keep building this and then maybe it'll change or go to another reel or go somewhere else or, or maybe I'll just have to completely redo it because maybe it was the wrong direction or maybe we went too big and we need to go small or, or let's go flip it back the other direction. Or then after you watch it, you're like, no, let's go back to how we had it the first time. What was that? You know? So just that flexibility and, and not feeling overwhelmed by the idea of what you do have to still accomplish or what you might have to change. Um, I mean, I, I take that to other movies now, you know, that, that, that sense of like, 
you know, and it makes it nicer when I'm working with another client, like, hey, actually, let's do, you, you can spend a whole day on something and know that the next day, you're like, no, and then in 10 minutes, accomplish something they wanted, you know. Uh, it's so easy to get down, you know, go down a certain path. And, uh, and it might be the right path. You don't know until you get all the way through it. You might have to actually complete that journey before you actually learn that you want to pull back and change it. Love just to talk about maybe some Dolby Atmos specific moments. We are on the Dolby podcast and I feel like there's some things that you can only do in Atmos. I feel like otherwise are, you know, not possible. What were some of, what were the, some of those Dolby Atmos moments for you guys that you really leaned in to, uh, playing to the whole room? For the first thing, you know, I, I almost am trying to all the way through the film, trying to find places that I can actually use Atmos. And it's not just the top speakers. It might be the full range surrounds that you get, you know, using the, the you know, having those extra subs. Um, so sometimes it's just doing that or, or coming off the screen a little bit and having that point source that's still off the screen, but it's not, doesn't have to be behind you. It's just gives you an extra bit of like, you know, texture from the screen to the middle of the room, to the back of the room. Um, there's always even sounds like in the Mjolnir sounds where they're actually flying. Like, can I, I can get more point source all the way across, you know, the side walls. It's not just kind of like an array. Um, and then sometimes that's nice to have both, you know, so, or, or it might be like a specific sound that's getting the detailed movement, you know, just, just coming off the screen and then going back and having those subs in the back. I mean, it's, it's constantly a lot of little things like that. Um, if I wanted more oomph on something, I might be sending it to like a my my LFE channel with the you know, subarmic generator. But then I might also put it on you know at, make sure it's on Atmos channels to get a little extra out of it. Um, yeah, so it's it's a constant. And then of course you know in a movie like a Marvel movie, there's so much flying around. Every time they they flew into the, the sky, they're flying all the way into the you know upper speakers. Um, I've got a reverb special just for like, kind of like, you know, the center of the room. And I, I love just kind of like somehow if it, if I can finish the verb just in that speaker, I'm probably the only one knowing that I know that I'm not to myself and nobody else hears that probably, but you know, lots of little, little things like that. Um, but ap absolutely, uh, all the way through, I've got BGs and effects all good. And then the music's also, you know, been up mixed into, you know, Atmos and, the horns are going into it. They just have like a really rich tone getting that again, if you pull them off the screen, you can actually, you know, get that full range surround on them. Um, Anna did a bunch of great stuff with that, that, that just the music sounds amazing. For music, I love putting choir and horns, uh, choir up and big and horns up and big, especially with the melody. Uh, I did that a lot with the Gores theme because he has a lot of, horns for his theme and it made it kind of created just a nice spatial environment that was a touch fuller than you would experience in a 7-1 environment um, and so then when we were doing our 5-1 pass it was like oh yeah what's the atmos bigness on it so even just having the full range on the speakers it just just makes it sing a little bit more you get really used to it um even even sometimes like an effort or two like he's like hurry up at the beginning you know it's fun to like take that in the object and go, yeah you know <laughs> but effects wise they killed it um the big moon and chain battle it was that that whole scene was objects and, and atmos and 
and let's put that there so I can put this here. Let's put the melody like this. So then you could put your sound effects here. So we could never fight over the same speakers and the same frequency and fight sequence came out great. Yeah. And Brandon was taking advantage of it all the time, just sitting, you know, next to him as he was doing like, every, like he, he's just every opportunity. He's like, you know, I'm going to put that creature behind us. You know, and he wouldn't say it, but I'd just be noticing what he was doing. Like, you know, like constantly just throughout the whole thing, just finding the opportunities to, to spatialize things, move things around and, um, you know, take advantage of that. It's definitely fun to watch Brandon mix because I thought it's, it's mesmerizing just like where, where he would place things. And I just felt like this movie also um, gives us a lot of opportunities to play with the POV shots because there are a lot of like you're flying literally with Mjolnir, like as if there's a GoPro on the Mjolnir. So you have a lot of chance to actually play with, you know, put Mjolnir in center and put everything, everything else in the in Atmos. And also like there's uh, later in the movie, there's this little kid that's shooting laser, uh, shooting thunder. Uh, lightning out from uh, the rabbit and that's also a perspective shot too so lots of opportunities to also let's play with it well congratulations you guys on a really fun film I, I find that like sometimes it's challenging to find a film especially nowadays to draw you back into theaters but i feel like this is a film that you can only see in theaters and maybe even in dolby cinema with dolby atmos and dolby vision yeah congratulations on completing something that i feel like is pretty hard like as us as audience members we can appreciate the end product but being a part of it like you guys have been i just imagine it's been a long journey so yeah congratulations thank you thanks so much and thanks for having the, thanks for having us on yeah appreciate it all right michael thank you Thank you again, Samson, Daniel, Byway, Annalie, and Brandon for joining us today. And special thanks to our friends at Marvel and Disney for helping us put this conversation together. Thor Love and Thunder is currently in theaters and playing in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. As always, you can find links to buy tickets in our show notes. We'll be back very soon with another episode of the Dolby Institute podcast. And on behalf of Glenn and the entire podcast team, thank you so much for joining us. Sound and Image Lab is brought to you by the Dolby Institute. I'm your guest host, producer, and editor, Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry. Production support by Taylor Hines. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thanks for listening.